Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. My friends, today, uh, we want to get off into the weeds of what is the financial situation with our economy. Uh, we all know we've got an election coming up, and uh, quite honestly, I don't think the election is going to do much to change where we're at economically. I know you probably do, and I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not saying your vote doesn't mean something. What I'd like to share with you, though, is that I believe that your vote has more to do with your social politics than it does with your economic ability to become financially secure. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at it. Um, if you don't like the way the Democrats are dealing with legal issues, letting all the criminals out and everything, that would be a social issue. If you don't like that they're messing with your kid's head in school, and teaching them all kinds of things that uh, supposedly they're teaching them that we don't want them to know or hear or whatever, uh, well, then that's a social issue. Um, you you got them saying that you don't have control over your kids anymore. Your kids can do whatever they want to do and make life-changing decisions at an early age. Again, that's a social issue. You get on the line and these things are social issue after social issue after social issue. Now, I will take uh, a criticism in that argument and say, well, Dell, what about, okay, what about the, the fact that they're destroying the uh, self-sufficient oil supply? Okay, well, they did that, but the oil supply is still really there. So if you vote them all out and just get rid of all the Democrats, then the oil supply is still there. We can bring that back. Um, it's just a matter of economically, it's not really destroying us. It's putting a lot of pressure on you as individuals to survive. And what they don't realize is that their economic decisions, the things they've done economically as Democrats, is going to lead eventually to their demise uh, politically. It has to because people just aren't going to put up with it. You know, what's going on economically as far as the oil situation goes, uh, as far as whatever other things that you want to go into, the inflation and so forth. But for you, other than voting for understanding that flow, even if the Republicans got into power tomorrow, they're not going to be able to change any of that stuff. It's just not unless you have all three um, parts of the government, you, you can't do that. The, the president can veto anything that they try to pass. And so, really, it's not going to change. Now, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm trying to say to you, look, economically, you've got to make decisions with what you have to work with. Yes, you might have a position of wanting to vote to politically push the other side around and get what you want by beating them into submission. Although I've never seen the Republicans beat anybody into submission. As soon as they win, they give up. 
and roll over. So, you know, you say, well, are you a Democrat or Republican? I'm neither because I just I don't like what the Democrats do in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases. And I don't like what the Republicans don't do. Not all cases, but in many cases. In other words, they're pretty much don't do anything except cut the taxes for the rich. And the Democrats pretty much do everything, but it's all the wrong stuff for the benefit of everybody, really, if you think about it. So it's very difficult for me to try to share with you how really, oh, what's the word for it? I really should have a good set of words for this to be able to share with everybody. Uh, I really don't like either side, and I really don't care where either side's at. I really just look at what's going on and make decisions on how do I survive in the insanity of all of this political turmoil. And the way I do it is by looking what is actually economically going on. So today I want to talk about what is in fact actually going on economically right now so that you can make some decisions. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that what I'm going to bring to your attention for most of you is going to be counterintuitive. It's going to be exactly opposite of what you think you should be doing in the situation that we're in. So let's get into this. First article here reason I'm using articles is simply because I want to give you some basis of fact. This is coming out of, um, who wrote this? It was published October 28th by The Economy, uh, Fox Business News. Okay, here's what it says. Fed expected to aggressively hike rates to 5%, triggering global recession, according to survey. Fedly like Fed likely to hike interest rates by 75 basis points in next week's meeting survey show. Chief investment officer, oh, I'm sorry, we don't need that. Federal Reserve officials are expected to maintain their hawkish stance at next week's polit- uh, policy setting meeting, where they're likely to approve another supersized interest rate hike, paving the way for borrowing costs to climb from above 5% by March of 2023 according to a survey, okay? So borrowing costs to climb above 5%. Well, by the way, most mortgages are already above 5%. The ones that I'm looking at are anywhere from 5 to 7%. goes on and says a survey found that most respondents expect the feds to raise rates by 75 points, points to a fourth straight meeting. The feds open market committee will announce their decision the following a two-day meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday, and a basis point is 100 of, is a basic point is 100th of 1%. So 75 basis points is 75% of one point. The U.S. Central Bank will then approve a 50 basis points increase again in December, followed by a 25 basis point increase in the following February to March, and participants of this research predict the rapid tightening of the policy is likely to trigger a U.S. global recession, according to the survey. Now, there's a lot right there, guys, that we have to unpack. And let's start with just where we're talking about. They're talking about raising interest rates again, another 75 basis points in about a week or two, whatever the next meeting is. Um, 
they have already raised them three times or four times this year. And the marketplace out there, which we're going to discuss when we get back from the break, the marketplace out there is just gun shy. It's shattered. It doesn't know what's going to happen next. And there's reasons and facts as to what all of this interest rate stuff is doing and will do to our business, the real estate investment world business, right? Uh, And we're going to cover all that. Today, we're going to cover and unpack all of this stuff as we get chance to here. Uh, But then we've got to work at the end of that argument about what's going on, but what this discuss this possibility of a global recession. Now, think about that one for just a second. If all of this is leading to a global recession, then you hear the giant flush. You just open the lid and flush the toilet, and everything that you've ever come to believe to be true about your financial situation in your life as of right now is gone. It's going down the tubes for those of you that don't know how to swim with the current. So what we want to do today is we want to teach you how to swim with this current, this ever, ever swirling, downward pulling current that's about to take a whole lot of people under, or at least that's what the Fed is saying. Today we're talking about what's actually happening financially in in our country right now, as far as investors go and so forth. And uh, I want to make the point that, you know, these interest rates have gone up and gone up and gone up and gone up. And during that period of time over the last year, you've heard me tell you that brokers, real estate brokers, specifically commercial ones, although probably all of them, are telling you that house prices and apartment prices are not going down, that there's so much money chasing so little product that it's keeping the price up. And I've said, okay, I have no argument with that until I see something different. And then I started seeing something different, and I started telling you I think that the brokers are not going to be willing to let you know because they're trying to squeeze out every last deal they can squeeze out before it all falls apart on them. And they don't have any money. to They can't make any money anymore because they can't close any deals. So what happens, and you have to understand this, is that values of things are perceptive. They're, they're a perception of the buyer and a perception of the seller. And right now when interest rates are going up, buyers are facing the fact that they're going to get stuck owning a property that they paid a lot for, maybe too much for, uh, with high interest rates. And in that situation, there may not be any cash flow and it's not going to be profitable. In fact, it gets worse than that. One step worse than it not being very profitable because of the price you paid based on the interest rates you're paying for your mortgage is the fact the mortgage company won't even lend you the money because the interest rates have made the payment so high that you don't qualify. The property doesn't qualify for the payments. And as that happens and it becomes more and more difficult to buy stuff, you can see more and more deals falling out left and right, left and right, left and right. Now, It starts with that. The bank saying they don't want to do the deals. The buyers want to buy stuff and the sellers want to sell stuff. You got a willing buyer and a willing seller, uh, but you got a non-willing banker. They're not going to lend you the money, and especially not at the interest rates that they were before. Uh, And so the deals are going to be very difficult to put together. Because why? Because the sellers are still living in the past. They're still trying to believe that their property is worth what it was worth six months to a year ago. 
and the buyers have not yet gotten enough persuasive power to be able to uh, get the sellers to understand that. Now, let's take one step further in this discussion. Remember I said in these deals you have willing buyers and willing sellers. And when the prices go up or when the prices go down faster than sellers are willing to get their arms around and wrap their arms around, uh, they're just not going to sell. I've got properties. I'm not going to sell. And many, 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 many sellers don't need to sell. Now, maybe it was in their plan to sell this year because they were going to take a major capital gain. And they were going to then deploy that into two or three more properties. Uh, or maybe their financing was, you know, coming to an end. They thought they could refinance and pull out some capital. Uh, maybe they wanted to sell and move on. Whatever it was, they had a plan. But the plan might now be disrupted. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be forced to sell. They're going to either hang on, you know, and say, well, we'll just hang on. and We'll, we'll buy into our new interest rate regime because we have an adjustable rate mortgage and it's gone up on us and we bought insurance to hold it down so it doesn't go up above a certain amount. We hedged our bet on that situation. And or we, we've we got more time. You know, we have a seven year mortgage. We were trying to get out in three or four years, but we'll just hang on for the rest of the seven year mortgage if we have to, uh, whatever. And so they're not willing sellers. You've got the same thing with buyers. You got buyers who go like me. I'm always in buy mode. Doesn't matter when it is, if you put something in front of me, I like the look of it, I'm going to buy it. But even myself in these situations, you know, I'm a willing buyer at all times. And I just negotiated two more deals. Uh, had the letter of intent completed. We had our attorneys getting ready to mock up the, the, uh, the actual sales contract for sale. And I had a conversation with my team and my team said, Dell, we better hold on. And I said, okay, fine. Tell me why we need to hold on because, you know, normally we just sort of buy all the way down in price because we don't know when it's going to end and we don't know if it's going to keep going down. You know, we don't know if it's going to go back up even. We have no idea. So we just kind of keep buying down and we knocked the price down and negotiated the price down quite a bit, hundreds of thousands of dollars on two deals that we had lined up for. And then uh, my brokers started coming to me and saying, Dell, I'm getting whispers from other brokers all over the country that we can get much better product, much newer than what you were looking at, much better product than what you were looking at, and we can get it at lower prices. I said, really? He goes, yeah. And what happens is, guys, is it doesn't start out by being listed. They Brokers don't list. What they'll do is they'll tell a guy, hey, I, I need to sell this for you. I want to sell this for you. I'll get you $10 million. And the guy's going, yeah, if you can get me $10 million, I'll take it. That's less. I really wanted twelve. I know, but, you know, if I can get you ten, would you do it? He goes, you know, to get out of this thing before everything falls apart, I'll take ten. So then the broker turns around and calls my broker and says, look, I got this guy listening in at 10. I think I can get him to nine. If you'll get me an offer, bring me an offer. Well, we're not even really buyers until we get to eight. Well, bring me an eight. Bring me an eight. And then I'll get to this guy and see if I can get him down to eight. And if I can't, maybe we can get him to nine. Then maybe you can get your guy up a little bit. And really, the brokers are negotiating the deals without the buyers or the sellers really being involved other than the final yes or the final no. Happens all the time. This has been going on for 35 years I've been in the business. 
And I used to be right in the middle of it when I was actively um, working in the business as a consultant. Uh, of course, I own a real estate company, so we were there brokering the deals, uh, although I'm not a broker, but I was right there while it was being done. And so as we saw all this stuff going on, you, you get to understand how these things work. And we're getting those vibes. We're getting those little little birdie telephone calls saying, hey, you know, whisper has it that you can do a lot better than that, you know. And so when all these people say, and by the way, it's such a small world, dude. Everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Every deal that gets listed and is about to get sold, people know that it's been it's been gone into contract for, and they get whispers of what it was going into contract for. And so they throw back at you and go, look, I know I can beat that, man. You know, you're spending that money on that deal, and I think I can beat that for you. You know, why don't you look at what I have over here? I got a guy that's really suffering. Now, let's bring into play here a new concept. We've been talking about a willing buyer and a willing seller. What if we have a must-sell seller? Now, the willing seller is saying, okay, you know, I might take $10 million when I wanted $12 million, but the must-sell seller might say, I'm not taking less than $10 million, but when someone throws $9 million out there on the floor, that guy might go, gosh. It's nine mil or nothing. And then when you really look at this and you've got a falling knife market, <laughs> come back and talk about that. That's something even crazy. We'll be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Not because that's the way it's set up, but because of the knowledge. When put into action, knowledge is power at Lifestyles Unlimited. We empower you to live the lifestyle of your dreams through passive real estate income, For over 30 years, our successful members share their knowledge through case studies, classes, and mentoring. Tap into the knowledge. Attend a free workshop online. Register now at LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about the economy and where it's at right now and how we're going to be able to work through just really the the craziness that's going on. So we've got the interest rate increases we mentioned earlier in the show. Some more interest rate increases coming in the future. We've now finally got a situation where brokers are starting to admit uh, that there are deals to be had out there. And they weren't willing to admit that for quite a long time uh, in this last previous year. And now they are. But now what you're falling in, what you're seeing is you're falling into a situation where you're getting into what I call the falling knife market. The falling knife is the price is falling so quickly they say if you try to catch the knife, it will cut you. In other words, I could say I would buy that property for $10 million. You know, they wanted $12 million for it, but they put it on the market for 10 because they wanted to get rid of it quickly. Uh, I made a low ball offer at 9 They agree begrudgingly to a 9 By the time I close 60, 90 days later, 
the value of that property and the prices of that property around it were, I could have bought something else that was now listed. I could have bought it for eight. And so now I'm not in a bad situation owning it for $9 million. That's better than the 12 that the guy wanted or the 10 that it was listed for. That's still a better deal. But I could have got an eight if I would have waited. Now, here's the problem with that theory. It happened in 2008. Everybody around me was waiting for the bottom. But when the bottom hits, it bounces right back up. I bought the lowest price property that you could buy in Houston, Texas. Uh, 80s construction, $50,000 value I bought. At 26000 I bought it. 19000 I bought it. 14000 I bought it. 11000 I bought it. 8000 And I think the 8000 was the lowest thing that anything of $50,000 value sold for. But the very next couple of weeks, I put everybody on that street out of business, and three properties went into foreclosure. But they came back for sale at 27000 a door. And I thought, what happened? Well, because I created the bottom... There was nowhere to go but up. And so as soon as people saw that the bottom had been hit, then they were ready to throw in and come back because the prices were guaranteed to be low. And so they started bidding each other back up again. And, you know, I offered for the same property 17000 a door. Somebody offered 27000 a door for them. And they're all on the same street that I had bought one for for eight. And I thought, well, seventeen's a good price. That's more than double what I paid. But it didn't work because it had already gone back up. So the fear of experienced investors is if you if you if you're afraid of the falling knife, you end up with nothing. You miss out on all the really good deals because you're not buying on the way down. Right? Now for the inexperienced buyers, the fear is I'm gonna buy and the knife is going to go lower and I'm gonna get cut. Uh it, it's gonna burn me. And so the inexperienced buyers are afraid to take action. That is the juggling point there. What is coming to an end, though, and this is where I said we've really got to unpack a lot of stuff here today. I don't know if we get all all of it in, but that in itself creates quite a bit of complex negotiations and really undeterminable ending value price for anything that we're looking at buying. It's moving, in other words. It's a moving target, and you're trying to shoot a moving target, and you might miss and uh, be happy you missed because you didn't get the right price. You might be unhappy you missed because it went on somebody else got a great deal. But the bottom line is it's moving and you have to be able to take a shot at it or you're not going to get any of it. Now, what happens, though? This is still willing buyers, willing sellers, and now we've thrown in people that their mortgages are starting to run out. The, the timetable on their loan is, is wrong. Even the, the adjustable rate mortgage, even with their buy-down, isn't low enough, and they, they can't cash flow. Uh, all kinds of problems that are legit financial problems that were not foreseeable, or they were foreseeable in my book, but maybe not in theirs when they started, that are now hitting them, that are putting them into the spot of being a forced seller. But wait, there's more, as always there is. Now, what happens if there's a recession? Remember what the last line of this article said? That they're predicting if the Fed goes up two more times like they say they're going to, that they could send the country, and really it said the world, into a recession. 
Well, what happens in a recession that's different than William, willing buyers and willing sellers? Well, now all of a sudden you've got, you go from, you know, 3% unemployment where everybody's working and everybody's got jobs and everybody's got money to where people aren't working and people don't have jobs. And all of a sudden people can't afford their apartments anymore. And so they move home with their parents or they double up with a friend. And so the occupancy levels drop from what they are right now, which is 95%. And they've been 98% for the last two, three years. Now they're dropping down to 95. You can already start to feel a little softness. Uh, they may drop into the 80s. Now, if you're already in a situation where you paid too much for these things and you get hit with a big insurance bill because of all these hurricanes, uh, you get hit with rising property taxes because the Democrats are in control and they're just hiking the heck out of taxes and property values have gone up, which forces property taxes to go up. And then all of a sudden your occupancy drops. You are now in trouble and you are a don't wanter. You're not just a, you know, I need to buy. You are now a don't want. I got to get out of this thing. And when that happens, it starts out by you taking lower and lower and lower prices. But the ending conflict in that drop is the mortgage company because you can only lose the amount of money you have invested. The real end game is how far down will the mortgage company go? Because once the mortgage company start taking these things back, they got to figure out what they're going to do with them. They don't want to own real estate. They don't have a way of operating this real estate. They don't want anything to do with it. They want out of it. And so they're selling it off as quick as they can. The question is, how low will they go? And like I said, I bought from banks all the way down to $8,000 a door. Now, we're in buying apartment complexes for 200000 a door for Class A's, down to 150000 a door for Class B's, uh, down to 100000 a door for Class C's, and I've seen as high as 80000 a door for Class D's. That stuff's got a lot of range to go down, a lot of range to go down. And so when that starts going down and people start losing their money and the bank starts selling that stuff back, now, those sales being on the market impact the sales of other properties because now somebody looks at buying something from somebody who's not distressed and they see that there's a 10, 20, 30% discount to buy something that is distressed. And you go, well, this one's not distressed and this one is. And some people would just say, well, I'd rather buy the distressed one because I can fix the distress. The guy that owns it right now doesn't have any more money. He didn't bring any money in to, to be prepared for this stress. I can bring the money into the deal to be prepared for this stress. In fact, I can attack this stress, fix it, end up being the best product at the best price on that street, and suck all the tenants out of the other properties. That's what I did all during the 2008 market. I was just sucking tenants away from other people. Why? Because I was buying properties that were in massive distress, fixing them up really nice, and then offering less rent than what the other properties were that had terrible properties. And so now you've got operational problems that are starting to take people under. And that's it. When the recession does that, that's all over with. Now the banks end up with all the real estate. Not all of it. That's an overstatement. They end up with a lot of the real estate. Never got in your mind. 
Uh, they got other people's, and I got theirs from the bank. But it ends up happening that way until it doesn't, until you've cleaned out all this overpriced real estate that's been overpaid for for the last two or three years, and the inflation comes back down and people stop buying stuff and stop overpaying for stuff. And when that happens, the Fed gets off that interest rate because now we're in a recession. They come down off those interest rates. They start quantitative easing and they jack the economy back on again. Well, if you're sitting there with all the assets when the economy gets turned on, you're the one that ends up getting rich. I've said this many times on the radio over the last, uh, since 2008 till now, whatever number of years that is, I've eviled, I either tripled or quadrupled my net worth. I don't know exactly how much, but let's say tripled my net worth during that period. Today, we've been discussing the situation financially of our economy and what we're doing as investors in this economy. We first discussed interest rates and how they're going up rapidly, and this is starting to impact us, and we discussed how it impacts us as far as these deals we're looking at. Uh, then we discuss what happens if there's a recession and how that would impact us. And now I'm going to throw a third one at you. It's going to muck up the world here really bad. And that's something called negative arbitrage. Uh, this is kind of a high-end thought process that not a lot of people would think about. But when you buy a commercial piece of real estate, you're buying it based on its cap rate. The cap rate is the rate of return the property would make if it were bought, purchased, all cash. So an all cash purchase back when I first started in real estate would produce about a 20% return. And then you put leverage on it and put debt on it and you could get that leverage up to 25 or 30%. Uh, as interest rates or as prices went back up and from 86 to 87, to 88, 89, so forth, um, I saw those prices go from 25000 a house to 50000 a house to 75000 a house to 100000 a house. And you would see those margins change to where on apartment complexes, we were buying properties at 10 caps and 12 caps. And that means if we paid cash for it, we'd make 10 or 12% return. If we put leverage on it, we'd probably make uh, 15 to 20%. And then rolled around uh, here recently, and you'll see that we started really taking a hickey uh, on these deals. And the cap rates went from what was a realistic six cap rate, five cap rate for, you know, class A's were five cap rates for the longest time. And class C's were eight cap rates, seven cap rate. Then they dropped down to six cap rate. Then that pushed the class A's into a four cap rate. And the only way you could sustain buying these very low cap rates, very low return deals based on their price was by the fact that the mortgage companies were lowering the interest rates from four and a half, four and three quarters, five to four and three quarters to four and a half to four and a quarter to four down into the threes. It actually got at one time. And so you could afford to pay way too much and still have cash flow. And they'd still qualify for the loan, right? But what happens? What happens when your rate of return on the property, your cap rate you're buying it for is a four or a five? And interest rates are no longer two. Interest rates are now six 
what happens? That's called negative arbitrage. Normally what happens is I can go buy a piece of real estate that will earn me an amount of money. I'll just make up a number, 10% return. And I can go borrow the money at 5%. So not only do I make the money on what I don't have a mortgage on, you know, if I put 20% down, I make the money on that 20%, but I make 5% return on the money I, I'm borrowing even. So I'm using somebody else's money to make money. But when you have negative arbitrage, you're only making money on the part of the property that isn't financed. So they make you put more and more and more and more money down to 20, 30, 40%. And if it were even arbitrage, it'll just say that you could borrow the money for five and you could buy it at a five cap rate. The rest of the price of the real estate wouldn't be making you any money because you'd be making 5% and paying 5% for that 80% of the loan or 70% of the loan. And now it's gotten down to 60% of the loan, uh, you know, loan amount of 60% of the total cost. But what happens when it becomes negative arbitrage? Well, that negative arbitrage means that the, the part of the value of the property you purchased that has a mortgage on it, is now losing money. And that losing money is eating into the profit of the part of the property you paid cash for. Remember, you paid 40% down, so you're making money, you're, you're making a 5 or a 4% cap rate on that stuff, but you're losing money, you know, you're paying 6% interest on the other stuff, and so you're paying 2% on that stuff uh, of a loss that's eating into the 4% gain of the other stuff, which means, bottom line, you're not making any money. And that's what's starting to happen. According to this article I read, the negative arbitrage just a year ago, only 2% of all deals had negative arbitrage a year ago. Today, 28% of deals done have negative arbitrage. Can you believe that? Now, that cannot sustain, guys. It just can't sustain as long as you don't get the prices down, you're going to have cap rates that are so low that the interest rates are higher than the cap rates. And it can't be fixed by putting more down because there's such a large amount of negative arbitrage that even putting down 50% isn't going to take care of that. If, let's say you broke even on the other 50%. You had a five cap rate and a five interest rate. You could break even on that. And you only make money on the part you put down. But what's happening now is that that negative arbitrage on the part you're not putting down is eating into the profit of the part you did put down, and you're not making any money. And so you, there you go. Now, what does this all lead to? Because I only have one minute to finish this up, and that's this. This is a buyer's market. All of these factoids work against sellers, not buyers. The only way they work against buyers if buyers are too dumb to understand them. If you come to Lifestyles Unlimited, I'm going to show you how, and my staff's going to show you how to work around all this negativity and make it a positivity to make it something you can use to your advantage to go in there and get deals that are unheard of for the last five years, maybe 10. It's been a while since we've been able to get these kinds of deals, and it's only going to get better. Did you hear what I said? Better. The farther we go into this stuff, the worse the Democrats mess it up, the higher the feds make the interest rates, the worse the economy gets. It's all better for us. I have a saying, heads I win, tails you lose. I always win. It's good to be king. That's what's happening in this buyer's market. 
Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.